now. Ah, this is so cool. Um, I've actually talked to this gentleman many times on radio, but never face-to-face in this particular Zoom setting. And in this episode of Bull in the Basement, I got to be honest with you, uh, my guest epitomizes the whole purpose, the mission statement, if there were one, for Bull in the Basement as we bring out the best of Buffalo, basically. Uh, We have guests who somehow are connected to Buffalo that are culturally influential to us and the world. That's exactly what Bill Fickner is. And of course, he happens to be a card-carrying member of Bill's Mafia. Um, So an equally great reason to have him on Bull in the Basement. Bill, good seeing you, man. Thanks for doing this. Ah, my pleasure, my pleasure. How's Buffalo? Buffalo today is a little bit rainy and gray and cold, man. I mean, we are now. That's unusual. Yeah, shocker, right? (laughs) Shocker. Uh, By the way, the lighting is terrific. All right. (laughs) In in your studio. I know it was important to you. My studio, my 32nd floor hotel room in Austin, Texas. (laughs) So it's funny. We were talking before I get into kind of the meat of our Q&A. You know, we were talking via text about, you know, doing it. And you're like, hey, can you give me a a bunch of weeks of going out to Austin to shoot something, yada, yada, yada. And so, okay, let's start there. I don't know much you can tell us, but what's happening? What are you doing? I'm doing a film here um, by uh, uh, a filmmaker. His name is Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez made films like Machete, Sin City, From Dusk Till Dawn. He has such an amazing style. He's one of those guys that if you get an opportunity to work with him, you take it because you really want to be a part of like a Robert Rodriguez film. I felt that way. And uh I had a Zoom with him like uh, five, six weeks ago, and he's like, come to Texas. And I'm like, tell me when. So <laughs> I'm here right now. I'm halfway through shooting it. I still got uh, uh, like three and a half weeks to go. But um, Austin's great. You know, I'm just I'm just happy that the work is great. Miss home, but it's all good. Uh, did you happen to go to the Formula One race yesterday? I was there. I was there all day Saturday. All day Sunday, the very first day that I got to Austin, I think it was October 1st, it was a Friday and I took a walk and uh, just to get out of the hotel and I'm walking on the street and I see an outdoor bar, you know, Austin has a lot of great, you know, clubs and a lot live music, but I, you know, I'm not at a place working on a film that I really feel like going into an enclosed place. So I see this outdoor bar and on the shelf, there's my favorite tequila. So I'm like, oh, I got to stop. So I stopped five minutes later, a guy walks up to me. He said, Hey man, how you doing? I'm from Ontario. And I'm like, Oh, you're like 45 minutes away from where I grew up. And uh, he has an auto, uh, a racing museum up there and he collects things. And he's like, I'm coming back for the F1 race. You want to go? And I'm like, sign me up, babe, sign me up. So we spent the whole weekend out at the track. It was unbelievable. Uh, So we're there because there was a lot of speculation because it was the bills bye week and this guy, Daniel Ricardo, is a big, big Josh Allen fan. I mean, they've done Zoom chats together. They've exchanged helmets. So the big question was whether or not there was a Josh Allen spotting anywhere. Yes, no? I did not see Josh, and I think I would recognize Josh if I did see him. (laughs) And I was down in the paddock, you know, where the cars were, and I got to go out on the grid, you know, right before the race. Wow. Drivers are getting off. It was like a bucket list thing for me. Listen, it was slightly better than Lancaster Speedway, but not by much. <laughs> not by much. I will say this. Now, this is not entire, This is not exactly F1, but IRL Indy Racing League. So yeah. I think you know this. They, they've done a race in Toronto for years, a road race in Toronto sure. for years. And just a quick story. 
I had the, so Honda did a thing, a promotional thing. This is gosh, this is probably now five years ago where they brought people from neighboring cities or wherever, or that city in particular to actually ride in an Indy race car and go through the course with a former driver. For some reason, they decided to make it public and go with a radio guy, me. So they built a two-seater Indy race car and I was in the back seat and Jill DeFerrin, who was a two-time 8500 uh, driver, was the driver. And it was the most insane thing I have. Uh, we got up to like 175 on the street. It was crazy. So, it's, no, it's there's no reference point for that experience. And I've had that experience at the Indy 500. And it's like, whoa, unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's insane. Well, that's super cool. So let's go. Let, let me circle back to the film. So can, what can you tell us about it? What what role are you playing? Uh, it's it's a film that stars Ben Affleck and um, it's called. Well, I don't know what it's called right now because <laughs> the script has one title, but then it's referred to as something else. So I only share that because I think he's trying to keep that under wraps a little bit. Fair um, enough. It's a it's a it's a thriller and um, uh, with a lot of emotion, and and it's about a cop, Ben Affleck's character, that's uh, loses his daughter, and and it's his search for her and the people that he's finding in his life right now that are kind of watching him and you begin to discover why they're watching him. And I can't really say much more than that, but the main guy that is watching him is the guy that I play. And, and it's, uh, once it starts to reveal itself, it's like, wait a minute, what's going on? And then the whole thing takes a big shift. Uh, sorry for being so vague. That's all right. I get it. I know how it works. I, I know the game, man. I get yeah, it. It, it's it's coming out next summer. And, you know, you know, I hope that, uh, you know, the, the world is safe enough to because this is the sort of movie you really want to see it on a big screen. And in, really indoors when it, where it's dark. Right. Yep. That's yeah. the way you got to see this. Yeah. Movie. Uh, so you've always wanted to play a private dick. It sounds like that's your role. This, uh, no, he's actually a, a, a bit of a scientist. OK. All right. And that's part of what we Okay. I've never played cops before in my life. Right. <laughs> yeah, only like 37 times. That's, <laughs> that's where my criminal justice major from SUNY Brockport really helps. Right. Out. So I got a really stupid question and it, it, you can't always believe everything you read on the internet, but I was just doing a little bit of back. I know most of everything about you, but just for the heck of it, I decided to go online. So Wikipedia says you were born in Long Island. Is that right? You know, I'm going to admit this. I was only there for two months. I'm okay. sorry, Buffalo. It was not my choice. I tell people, people go, where are you from? I don't say I'm from East Meadow, Long Island, Mitchell Field Air Force Base. My mother was originally from Buffalo. My father was stationed at Niagara Falls Air Reserve Station back in the early 50s. Met my mother. They went to Long Island. I, my sister Margaret was born at Mitchell Field Air Force Base. I was born two months after I was born. The story goes, my mother said, we're going back to Buffalo. And that was the name of that tune. So I was born there, grew up in Buffalo. And usually the guy follows a lady no matter where she wants to go, right? Uh, you know, listen, my wife told me like 16 years ago, uh, we lived in New York and she's like, we're moving to California. And I'm like, okay, babe. <laughs> That's the name of that tune. You've been there ever since. That's right. Uh, watching the bills from afar with, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning start times, which can't be great. Uh, I, but what is it? it? Like, so, but you know, you watch the bills, let's say have a Sunday at one o'clock, which is really odd because it's been three weeks in a row. The bills haven't had a Sunday one o'clock game, right? We had the Sunday, the Monday and no game. 
So it's been yeah. kind of odd. It's been almost a month since we've seen a 1, 1 p.m. Sunday game in, in Buffalo. But for you, like, is 10 a.m. good? Like, you watch the game and you got the whole rest of your day to do with whatever you want. You know, the biggest the biggest shift for me was when, my, when I first started spending a lot of time in L.A. and then we moved to L.A. The biggest shift was Monday night football. I'm like, Monday night football can't start at 530. I'm right. sorry. You know, when we were younger, it was nine o'clock, yep. 9 p.m. That's when the game went on. Uh, I've gotten used to this 10 a.m. thing. I get up, you know, first of all, I have so much anxiety before the game. You know, I'm just like, you know, who's injured? Who's going to play? What's going to happen? Um, my silver ball is not giving me all my answers. This way you get up, you get a cup of coffee. The game begins. I skip that three hours of anxiety. I'm right into it. And, you know, for the last few years, it's, you know, we're going to more often than not, we're going to get the result we want. Right. Uh, so I really look forward to I, I'm not minding the, the the early one. I'm really not. Also, too, when we win, it's one o'clock in the afternoon for me on the West Coast. I got the whole day. I'm feeling great. Kind of works out. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I think prob probably Bills fans would want to know. And it's odd that you have a 10 o'clock kickoff. So the, the, there's really no such thing as a tailgate for you out there like it is here. But if there were, what would your tailgate look like? like what would have to be on your menu? Uh, well, listen, I'm not going to pretend that you go to, you know, I, I travel all over the country and people have like wings on the menu. <laughs> I'm sorry. No. Um, so I'm not going to do that. You know, I, I might get it to go thing from Charlie the Butcher. Nice. Uh, I have an apron that says Charlie the Butcher. And, you know, it's my good luck apron. I usually have it on when the game starts. Um, you know, my wife's an amazing cook, whatever she puts together. But, you know, there are times and they're in the fridge, you know, we'll, we'll pull out some salins. And, um, and if my wife makes wings, I'm like, that's fine, honey. Just please make sure the blue cheese is good. Um, I don't need the celery. It's okay. But, uh, you know, burgers, whatever, you know, we're just, you know, it's close to home. The grill's right up from the TV. I love it. So, okay. Because of supply chain, what's a, what's a, like a two dozen pack of Salem's cost these days? Jeez. Can't be, can't be inexpensive. I would, unless I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but I got some friends and they're very kind to me and they, and they, and they I ship them. Yeah. I, I, I get stuff shipped. I never run out of Weber's, you know, I, I got buddies of mine that come over and are like, you got another thing of Weber's? I'm like, back away, buddy. <laughs> Just back away right now. You're not getting my Weber's. <sighs> um, ah, I, I love it. You know, you know, it's funny. It's like, talk about tailgating. It was a game. What was it like four years ago when the Bills played the Rams at the old Coliseum, which was a very memorable game because there were 90,000 people there. And I swear to God, 45, at least half were Buffalo fans. Um, we travel well for such a small market and there was a tailgate thing that I was invited to before. And I went with my kids and nieces and nephews. There were 4,000, 3,500, 4,000 people in a parking lot that was, you know, and there were wings there. And that was unbelievable. Well, we'll take the home. I was going to tell you, we hope to be back there in February. So, you know, yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh my God. And you know what? And, and I really mean this in, in, that's entirely possible. Sure. You know, I mean, for real, I, I just think it's, 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 it's possible, you know, are we going to win every game? You know, probably not, but we could, mm -hmm. you know, we could. 
Well, yeah. So I, you know, I mean, outside of outside of really like a couple of plays and a slipped foot, um, we're six and zero for sure. That's that's amazing. You say that. I wrote that down on my notepad last night um, for the TV show I'm doing. That yeah, we're we're a block punt away and a slipped foot from being six and zero. Right. I mean, yeah, no if, doubt if, about it. If if Josh doesn't slip on the fourth, that we're going in for a touchdown. That game's over. Um, you, you just run it in three, whatever. But yeah. Yep. Uh, so, so it sounds to me like you have really no worry whatsoever coming off the Tennessee game. I mean, th- th- you know, we're, we're going, we're coming off the bye. Yeah. Knox has lost for a couple of weeks, which is rather considerable. He's been a big part of the offense, but then, yep. you know, you, you got, <laughs> you got three really winnable. I mean, if, if the bills don't win these next three games by a lot of points, then we got something to talk about, but between Miami Jacksonville and the jets, my God, I, I it's, it's, the other thing is, is first of all, hate having a loss before the bye week. Cause then I got to, I got to, you know, instead of waiting seven days to get a win and then, you know, get, get my mojo back. I got to wait two weeks, but as the bills have proven in the past, I mean, I mean, look at last year, you know, we lose that game and then, you know, it's a bye week. They didn't lose again until the AFC championship game. Yeah. This team is coached in a way of like, you know, nobody's wallowing in anything. It's the next game. You get it. And so we just got to wait. I just got to wait an extra week. And, sure. and should we win these ones? Absolutely. But I look at the schedule from now till the end. We could win them all. We might not, but we should. Yeah, I would think and so. And if we don't, we don't. It's okay. I mean, it's not It's not about, you know, whether you have a loss. A, I would like to, like, run the table and get that get that game in late January back in Buffalo. Um, you know. We'll see what happens. I, I would like to win that December game down in Central Florida too. That would be really fun, um, for, a, be. for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, um. yeah, for sure. <laughs> I want to win the Thanksgiving game too. Me too. Yeah, I, I really. That one is, you know, obviously, the, the, you know, I, I'm sure I'm not the only Buffalo Bills fan that if I had to pick one game at the start of the season that we won, we did in KC. Uh, that was just a biggie, you know. Yeah. I just. That, that was the one that's like, oh, man, thank you. Yeah. Um, with Bill Fickner on Bull in the Basement. All right, I got to segue. This is, this is, I don't want to say it's uncomfortable, but it's, we're going from football to you. Uh, for people that don't know your history, and, and I think your history is awesome, but there are things that I don't know about that I want to find out about you. So, okay, Maryvale famously, right? The Flyers. Uh, who have had a heck of a year in high school football. I don't know if, if you're aware they, of that. But no, yeah, they've been, they've been very know. good. They've been very good. Um, then you go on to Brockport, but so at what point, cause obviously you're a huge sports fan. I'm assuming you were an athlete in school and, and in some particular sports, I think in past discussions, you baseball, maybe for you. Hockey. Hockey. Uh, my, my, my boys, basketball, baseball, football for my sons. We all played hockey in, in the neighborhood in Chicktawaga. Everybody did. Okay. Um, when, at what point did you figure out that you wanted to be an actor? Uh, so long story short, I, uh, I was a junior at Brockport. I went my first two years at SUNY Farmingdale, and then I transferred up to Brockport. SUNY Farmingdale at the time was a two-year school, so you had to go somewhere. Um, so I went to Brockport, and I was maybe a week or two into the semester, and I get a call from an admissions counselor that said, you're short one fine arts course. And I was like, well, what's a fine arts course? And they're like, well, you take like an intro to theater or music or something. I'm like, nah. Those classes are at eight in the morning. I can't do that. Can you, 
he goes, well, there is an improv class. And I'm like, what, what's improv? So he explains it to me. I'm like, that sounds cool. I'll, I'll do the improv class. I really don't know anything about it. And I had a wonderful teacher. Her name was Sally Rubin. And, and I was like improv with actors. Everybody else in the class was a theater major. And I'm just, you know, criminal justice and hair down to my shoulder wondering, what am I really going to do? So I take this theater class and uh, it was it was amazing. And, you know, after like a month one day, the teacher said, can you stay after? I want to talk to you. And she, everybody left the room. She sat me down. She goes, I don't say this a lot, but I think you should do this. I mean, that was like saying, go build a spaceship and go to Mars. I'm like, <laughs> wow. So she was just really kind and influential and talked to me. And, and I just began this interest and took a couple of other classes, still not thinking that I'm ever going to change the journey. I don't know what the journey is. Um, and I graduated and I, I bought a bus ticket from uh, the bus station, downtown Buffalo. My mother dropped me off and I went to New York city and started studying. I just, I, I you know, it was one of those things where like, I think I could do this and that's it. I didn't know any more than that. So theater was your first exposure to acting then in New York, probably off-Broadway first? Uh, I've never been on Broadway, but I've, you know, theater was everything. But when I got to New York, I didn't want to, I don't want, you know, I didn't want to get a job right away. I wanted to learn how to act. I didn't really, you know, I was finding this stuff out. A lot of people that I met when I got to New York that were in their early 20s, you know, they, they did things in high school. I never saw a play in high school. We snuck out the back door. Um, <laughs> so I, this was so brand new to me, and which I always say is a little bit of my Buffalo roots, which are, you know, we don't put the cart before the horse, you know, know what you're talking about. So I really wanted to learn how to act before I did anything. And so I studied really hard, waited a lot of tables, tended bar. And then in my mid 20s, started to get some little things in that working in theater, small theater for no money. doesn't matter. It was great. Uh, but everybody I knew started to work in movies, you know, little parts and this and that. Ah, man, I, I got hired to, to play a small part in the film Malcolm X the night before I was going to shoot it. They called me and they're like, Oh, we wrote the part out. And I'm like, oh, thank you. <sighs> um, I was 36 when I got my first film. That's a wow. long time. That's a long time to hang in and still believe that like it can happen. It can happen. I really want to work in film. And then when it shifted, it totally changed. And then it just became most of what I've done. You know? Yes. Yeah, so, so, okay. 36. For your, so what was your, was your big break? Somebody that you met that said, Hey, this guy would be good for that. Or did you actually go to um, a, 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 a call? Uh, what, what was your first, you know, your first movie that you did and, and how did that happen? I was uh, there used to be a television show called in the 90s called Grace Under Fire. Um, Brett Butler was the star sure. of it. Yep. The very first season of that show, I, I, I did an audition on tape in New York for it was a Chuck Lorre comedy. The same guy who did Mom that I worked on for five years. And and uh, so I did this tape audition. I got the job. I went to L.A. when I was in L.A. That was all kind of new to me. I'd been in New York and. I got an audition for a film called The Underneath that was shooting in Austin, Texas, where I am right now. Wow. And that was my very first one. So I went to this audition. It was a Steven Soderbergh film. He's an incredible director. He hired me. Now, he, here's an interesting thing, too. Uh, I just told this story the other day. I hadn't thought about this in years. 
I was doing Grace Under Fire. I finally got my first movie and but it conflicted with the last episode of the season on Grace Under Fire. And I was supposed to do like eight episodes in a row. Well, the, the showrunners of, of the film, they were like, well, he's got one more episode. He can't do it. And I, I was heartbroken. I was like, oh, my God, it's my first film, finally. And I'm not going to be able to do it because two or three days, you know, conflict. At the time, uh, Tom Werner, who I believe owns a lot of the Red Sox. Is that correct? That sounds right. Yep. Yeah. So yep. anyway, Tom Werner from Carsey Werner that were the producers of the show. Tom Werner heard somebody brought it up in a production meeting. I, I was told this. And, and it was like, yeah, Bill's got this film. He's not going to be able to do it. And Tom Werner was the one that said, why can't he do it? And they were like, because we got the last episode. And he's like, well, let him out, you know, let him out to go do the film. Don't write him in the last episode. So I'm all bummed out sitting in my dressing room. And somebody comes over and says to me, oh, by the way, the director, he goes, by the way, I was just in a production meeting. You're going to be able to do that film. Because Tom Werner said, let him go. I hopped right out of my dressing room, went over there and said to him, Knocked on his door, his secretary opened up. And I said, can I see Tom? She lets me in. I said, I want to thank you, sir. And that was my first film. And I always thank him for that. That's uh, that is incredible. And for folks that don't know, you know, Bill's been in some massive movies, Heat and Armageddon and Black Hawk Down and Perfect Storm. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And, and please don't be offended by this, but I like to call you the Steve Tasker of Hollywood. That, that's not that's not offensive at all <laughs> you are versatile you're incredibly important in every role you play in every movie you've ever been in and you arguably based on your resume have a hall of fame career like he kind of did in his role with the bills that worked for you yeah that works for me just fine oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen i'm i'm uh i I really care about, I don't take everything that, that comes my way. Um, you know, I got to believe in it. Uh, I've been picky and choosy at times when I really didn't have a right to be, but if I don't think I, you know, I got a fear of, of, of being bad. You know, I always want to be as, as good as I can be. And if it's, you know, if it doesn't feel like the right fit, I don't do it. Um, so that's kind of like been the thing that I always lived with. And uh, I, I think I make pretty good choices. I've never turned anything down where I look back and went, maybe I should have done that. You know, I've yeah. never had that experience. Uh, so, and I'm such a homebody too. I care about work <laughs> and then I, I go home, you know, that's well, what I do. I was going to say another wonderful, um, I don't know, Buffalo feature that you have is you are clearly an incredibly humble person too. You know where your roots are from, you know what you've come from or what you've done and became, but it doesn't sort of envelop you completely. You, you, you like working's part of your life, not all of it, right? Uh, absolutely. And, and I think it's, it's uh, this is where most of the joy comes in my life. And I really mean this. I, you know, at the end of the day, uh, if something, you know, a, crosses over in, in my personal life with my, with my kids and my wife I'm fine I'm just I don't need to do it um that is always the priority uh it's 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 how the best things come in your life you know and uh and I have that sort of support with you know with my my sons and, and my wife and vice versa and and I love working I love doing everything but 
at the end of the day, it's, I, I get a lot of balance from being home. Sure. So I get I, a lot of, I get a lot of balance from being home. And when the bills went, I'm really balanced, you know, <laughs> namaste. <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> I probably said the word wrong. Me and yoga. don't. No, do you got well. it right. Absolutely right. Good. good. Cause me and yoga don't do well. Um, so your, your wife is, was an, an actress, correct? Now, I, I, I heard, maybe I'm making this up, that you lost a bet and that's why she had a role in your movie. No, what happened was we were, we were getting ready. Uh, we were getting ready for production. I finally, through my incredible uh, Canadian producers uh, that worked with me on the film, I finally raised the money or pretty close to enough where it was like, oh my God, this is a go. We're actually going to do this. And so it's about three months before we started shooting. I got to Buffalo two months before the first day we started shooting, hanging out at my lovely Hampton Inn down on Delaware, <laughs> doing pre-production, getting ready to go. But about a month before I ended up in Buffalo, I was just having coffee one morning and my wife's like, you know, how's things going? I said, oh, it's great, honey. It's great. She was just walking through the kitchen and she said, I'm in the movie, right? And kept on walking. And I'm like, uh, ee. Yes. Yeah, baby, you're in the movie. And I'm thinking, well, oh, man, I got to come up. What role is she going to play? Uh, and then she said to me, you know, I could play your wife. And I'm like, that's not happening, baby. Calm down. So <laughs> there was another role of uh, of a waitress in a, in a diner that we shot at the lovely Woodlawn Diner that's unfortunately closed right now on Route 5. Mm -hmm. um, but I will tell you this. The end of the story is uh, was our second day of shooting the film. And we had these scenes to do in the diner. And my wife used to act and she was really great, but it'd been a long time. You know, when, when she got pregnant with our younger one, and that was 20 years ago, she was like, you know what? I'm good. Uh, it's time for me to be mom and with all peace in her heart. And she's been happy, you know? So first day we go to shoot, second day of photography, the scene comes up and it, it, the camera is on Kimmy. And, you know, there's a little part of me that's like, whatever. I can coach her through it. I'll get through it. So we roll the camera on the first take. I swear to God, well, when I yelled cut, I said, Kimmy, I took her on the side and this was focused on her. She was so good. I was like, wow. I mean, I knew you were going to be good, honey, but I didn't, I just, she blew me away. And so it was a, a great treat. Now I'm working on the next film I want to make. And she's like, what's my role? And I'm like, there is no role. Calm down. <laughs> Uh, we'll awesome. see. She'll end up being in it. I have to, sure. have to write something. Sure. For um, let me ask you some Hollywood questions. So, are you uh, like what number agent are you on? Number one and number two. How important <laughs> is an agent in Hollywood? I mean, it, you can't go without one. I'm assuming. I, you know, it's it, it's all like a catch twenty two. It's like it's the same thing with like being in the unions, being in Screen Actors Guild. You got to be in Screen Actors Guild to get a Screen Actors Guild job. But you got to get a screen actor's job to get in the, in the guild. Um, it's the same thing like, you know, you know, I think young actors in New York, you have the opportunity to walk down the street. You run into people, you know, other actors, young actors, playwrights, you do readings, you you meet people, theater companies. And out in L.A., it's all studios. It's all big gates at the front of studios. If you don't have an agent, you're not walking on that studio. Um so it is necessary, but, you know, everybody starts off. I remember when I moved to New York, 
I got 250 pictures, you know, headshots and, and wrote a letter and put them in envelopes and sent them out. You know, I got like one call from one person. Wait a minute. So that's what it takes. Oh, forget. Well, it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you know, whatever, you know how it really takes, you know, how you really get an agent, just try to be in something that somebody sees. You could sit there and look at someone and tell them for a half an hour how great you are or the things that you do or you want to do. When somebody sees you, you don't have to say anything. If they like what you're doing, they're like, I like that. That's the person you want. And that's what I tell all young actors that ask me about it. You know, get seen, do things, be in the theater, do short films, do whatever you can do. Um, get seen. So hopefully you know, a potential agent won't see my performance in this. I, it's, it's, I, I'm t I've already got a message already on my phone. <laughs> it's so good. So, so to answer your question, I, you know, I, I've in my lifetime, maybe 10, 10, 10 different agents. Wow. Yeah. Probably. And yeah. you know what? Listen, you know, some people get an agent, they have the agent for the rest of their lives. Yeah. There are a few agents I've had along the way. I should have stayed with. Sometimes I just think, you know, I'm not, I, and I'm being honest here. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm no big movie star. I, I am a character guy. I think the business, you know, I'm, I think I'm known as a good guy and I love hearing that. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly an actor that cares about what they do. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, I've had times with agents where I thought you really don't know what to do with me. You know, a lot of agents are waiting for that phone to ring those incoming calls. I'm the guy that, that always needed, you know, you got to do a little work. Go tell people that like, don't hire him. This is the guy. So I've, I've had frustrations over the years with some agents and I've left them and I stayed close with them. I never walked away from anybody without calling them up and going, you know what? I'm not going to work with you anymore. And I'm going to tell you why. And you, you stay truthful like that in your life and you can hang around this business for a long time. Sure. What's, what's the biggest disappointment in terms of you went to audition for a part and didn't get? Oh, dude, what do you got? You got a couple of days? <laughs> um, and, 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 uh, and maybe more disappointing, you found out who got the role and you're like, what? Really? <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. Two parts to that question. One is, is um, you know, it, it certainly hit me a lot, a lot more when I was younger about, you know, missing out on a role. It, it could depress me for, for a week, you know, to get this close, especially when in my 20s. And I'd auditioned for a film and it was me and somebody else and I didn't get it. And oh, that was a heartbreak. But I will tell you this as well. My agent will call me and go, all right, this is who got it. And now they know my agent manager. I don't care who got it. I really don't. And I don't, I, I wish every actor well. I, I really do. Somebody else got it. God bless him. Tough, tough road being an actor. He got it. That's fine. It's, it wasn't for me. That's, that's all there is to it. But as I get older, I find my downtime, you know, now if I'm up for something and I don't get it, you know, my downtime now used to be like, you know, I'd be bummed for, you know, a week when I was younger. Now my downtime is like, it's like between like two and four minutes where I'm like, oh, well, that really sucked. <laughs> hey, honey, do you want to get a beer? Let's get, let's get a margarita. Um, and I really mean that. I, I don't I don't have a lot of downtime right now. I just don't have, you know, it is what it is. Um. You should, I don't know if you even thought of it, maybe not, but in terms of stories to tell,
from every project you've worked on. We obviously don't have time. And I would like to save time to do this again with you months from now or whenever you want to do it again. But um, th there's got to be story after story after story from not only the humongous projects that you've done and worked on or helped produce or write or direct, but in addition to that, all the different people you've worked with from every different level of your profession. I mean, you'd have volumes, I would assume, of, of stories to tell. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. Uh, I, I really do. I have so many. Uh, and there's something I take away from every single thing that I work on that, uh, that I'll, I'll always remember. I, you know, I, boy, I, I, it's. When I went to, when I went to Morocco in, in 2001 and, and worked on Black Hawk Down and we were there for five and a half months, I worked with a lot of amazing people. You see them later on, you might cross their paths and that, give them a hug. Great to see you. Uh, but as many people as I've worked with, you know, it's just life. You know, you don't, you don't become best buddies with everybody. Right. Um, but Black Hawk Down was special because, you know, my, my co-lead in Colebrook, my film, uh, is Kim Coates, yep. uh, Canadian actor from Saskatoon, and uh, and Eric Bana from Australia. That was the unique thing of those two guys to become buddies for life from one thing was <clears throat> amazing. I remember when I first met Kim Coates in Morocco, and we sat up late one night in the first couple of weeks we were over there, and we had a few. And, uh, and Coates, he started to talk me in, he started to tell me, that Buffalo was actually really part of Canada. It was a small suburb <laughs> and it was really part of Ontario. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, buddy. Um, so, uh, I got a lot of things that really, you know, a lot, lot, lot of great stories. And, yeah, and here I am in Austin, you know, getting some new ones. Yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And, and like I was going to say, you know, I just wanted to know, you met, but okay, we'll save the, the rest for later, but let's just talk about, you mentioned it. Black Hawk Down, for instance. Obviously, when the people putting that film together are putting it together, they want it to make as realistic and pay the best possible tribute to the people who were really in that real occurrence, right? So for you, when you're shooting that and when you're, when you're training and you're preparing for it, I mean, did you feel like when you were shooting that, was there a part of you thinking like, holy cow, this is like real war, even though, you know, there's cameras everywhere and whatever. Was there a time when you're like, wow, this is what it's really like? Let me tell you something. First of all, I've had, I've had the joy of being in one, two, three, four, five, five Jerry Bruckheimer films. Jerry Bruckheimer is, is, is as big of a producer as you'll ever meet in your life. And when you're on a Jerry Bruckheimer production, it is soup to nuts and, and everything is as good as it can be. Jerry Bruckheimer on for Black Hawk Down, you know, if you're going to shoot a film that's about the military, what you want is DOD approval, Department of Defense. They don't say yes to every film for people that are asking for help with a movie or expertise or equipment or whatever. So here's Jerry making a film called Black Hawk Down. I would imagine that the U.S. government and military loves Jerry Bruckheimer. He made Armageddon, which I was in. Pearl Harbor, uh, uh, Top Gun. I mean, this guy's the best marketing tool there is out there for, <laughs> right. for the military. He's amazing. So he gets Department of Defense approval on this. What they did was before we went to Morocco, the guys that were playing Delta guys got to go to Fort Bragg for an entire week 
where Special uh, Forces School is down in North Carolina. And the 22, 22-year-olds that were Army Rangers, they all went to Fort Benning in Georgia where the Army Ranger School is. Well, those guys got there and to go into classrooms and yeah, it's nice. We got down to Special Forces School. You know, you know those fantasy baseball camps, you know, where you sure. go and yeah, you play with, you know, former major leaguers, you get out on a real field and everything. This was like fantasy baseball camp for like special ops. I, I, I'm telling we, Eric Banner and I looked at each other after the first day and we're like, I have a feeling if the insurance company knew about what they're letting us do, <laughs> we wouldn't be here right now. I mean, we used explosive. We, we shot everything for real. Every day we spent with guys that were close to the guys that didn't come back from Somalia. Mm. And these guys, by the end, you know, at first, I got to tell you, in the beginning, they were like actors, you know. By the, by the time we left there, they, they really wanted us to get it right. And we really wanted to get it right. And, and they knew that. And so when we left, and there's a couple that I still keep in touch with 20 years later. When we left there, they were like, don't forget about the guys. And we were like, never will. And we never did. So there was a commitment from the beginning. And one of the guys that led one of the divisions in Somalia he came with us to Morocco and was with us every day. And I'll tell you, there were times when, you know, I would do something in a scene between takes this, he'd walk right up to me and go, no, that's not, that's not how you would do that. And all I wanted to do was know how to, you know, you wouldn't say it. You wouldn't talk that way to someone with a higher rank Then don't do it that way. And I wouldn't. And I, so that was, that's an example of uh, uh, really uh being put in the world yeah a world that is in a world that we're never going to understand because we weren't there but we can we can try to get it right by the people around that will help us understand what it really was i'm struggling with asking you this question but i will anyway because it's very topical obviously you're in a war movie there's a lot of weaponry um alec baldwin i mean wow i mean right i mean man it's it's uh I know that I've read a, a hundred things on it so far. Uh, everybody stops at that moment and wonders how, how, how does that happen? Um, Black Hawk Down, you know, we had a semi full of, of AK-47s and different weapons that were the real weapons being used by then by everybody. Um, and um, the armors are specific, you know. Am I gonna say that I, every time I'm on set, that I've looked at every single time, you know, sometimes you just miss it, you know, but, but I don't understand why there was even a live round in, in your equipment. I don't understand because apparently that's what I read that that's what happened. Um, a live round got inside that gun. We have Brandon Lee. There was a piece of, of something that got stuck in there and that got blown out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Somebody missed it. You know, there's a chain of command and, and you have to pay attention. And somebody missed a moment and tragedy. I can tell you this, and I've said this, talking about it over the weekend, that I, I, I feel so much for everybody. I feel for Alec, you know, to be in a circumstance like that and all of a sudden pull that trigger. You know, I've pulled triggers on guns, but you do not expect, you know, anything to happen that's not what it is uh it's it's just not even a thought in your mind 
that anything like that could ever happen. Yeah. And then it happens. Um, it will change the industry. There's no doubt about it. You know, now, I mean, now there are guns that, you know, give a little electric, you know, light and you could fill it in with special effects later on. I have a feeling you're going to see that yeah. maybe all the time. It's tragic all the way around. Uh, all the way around. It's, Unbelievable. It's such a, it's such a shame. Um, okay. So I don't want to end it there. Uh, I want to end it on this question. You mentioned that every project you've done, you've taken something away from it. Literally? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, um, you know, uh, listen, you know, I, I take socks from everything I do. I'm like, give me those socks. Wait, these socks are really comfortable. I'm taking those. Uh, I, 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 you take something away, whether it's the people that you meet, the experience that you have, um, something that you buy in a flea market, wherever you are, there's something, you know, I look at, and I really mean this, uh, Everything that I do, I, I take a lot of pride in, and I think of it as it's it's a piece of the puzzle of whatever my life is and whatever my career is. It's a piece, and I take a lot of pride in every piece you put in there. You know, I, I sometimes I've been on jobs with producers that, you know, maybe not maybe not the best guys, maybe not coming from the best place. And I think to myself, well, you're lucky, buddy, because you know what? I'm not a phone in guy, so I'm gonna give it my all no matter what. And you walk away from it. And I got this thing that I do, whether I'm home in L.A. or whether like from I'm going to tell you, when I finish here on November 16th and I, I fly home on the 17th, I will get on the plane and I have a ritual, which is I take the script that we just finished and I get on the plane and I read the script and I, I go start to finish. And I wonder if it ended up being if the experience ended up being what I thought it was going to be when I worked on the script and I thought about it and I love that moment. And I love doing that. So on November 17th, I will be on that plane looking at this whole thing thinking, wow, that was pretty cool. Okay. So you take away the scripts from everything you do. So that's physical. Um, hey, listen, I know you're busy. I know you got stuff to do. Obviously you're working on your film for a few more weeks. Congratulations on that. Good luck with that. I know you're going to work on a new film coming up. I know you love the Bills. Keep your love up. That, that'll never go away. And the Sabres. And, and the Sabres. Sabres. Yep. And this, a good start for them. You know, oh, yeah. all things considered, they're in a tough spot. You know, they, they lose a couple of their better players. And Eichel, who knows what his future is going to be. But all things considered, a lot of positive coming out of that building. A lot um, of positive. Yeah. And, of course, you're a hockey guy. So, there you go. There you go. Were you a, were you a winger, a goalie, or a defender? I was a goalie. Goalie. I was a goal in my man cave at home. If I was sitting in my man cave at home at my desk, right behind me on the wall are my original pads. Come on. God are sitting up there. Uh, let me tell you a quick story. So I'm at St. Barnabas church. It's on George Urban and Dick road. This is a way better way to end this, by the way, go ahead. And a way better way. Yeah. And I, and I'm, and I'm dating this beautiful girl from high school named Jenny and still keep in touch with her. I haven't talked to her in a while, but she's wonderful. That's my wife's name. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. So we go to this, we go to, she wants me to go to bingo with her. So we're going to go to bingo. And I'm like, oh, I'll go to bingo. And they were, you know, back then it was like they were, the gym in the auditorium was the smokers, non-smokers. And, uh, you know, they were splitting $15 pots like five ways. Mm -hmm. So it gets to the coverall at the end of the evening. It's 200 bucks. This is like 1972. It's 200 bucks, right? 
I look down, I'm like, I-27. I'm like, bingo, I'm the only one. Man, you hear all these old women in there going, <laughs> and the guy comes over, he counts it out. You know, he checks all the numbers and he counts it out. 20, 40, 60, 80, 120, 140, 161, $200. Puts it right in front of me. I'm like, well, I, I think she thought there was a, a ring was coming out of some of this money. I went home the next day. I said to mom, I forget the name of it, but there used to be an incredible hockey shop right over in Fort Erie in Ontario. And I knew it. Those Cooper pads up there were $200, those leather pads. I spent every dime of it on those. And I, still, I still got them to this day. People, have, you know, back in my 20s and 30s when I moved to New York, guys that still played hockey were like, you know, hey, man, can I borrow the pads? I'm like, no, you cannot. No, not my pads. I got to have my pads forever. That's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. The guys are moving you up that eighth floor walk up with all your gear. What, what are these? Yeah. No, no, no. Don't touch those. I got those. Don't touch those. Not the glove those. either. Yeah. What do I, you got, do? I, got hey. my, I got my Bauer goalie skates hanging on the wall. Oh, that's phenomenal. I do. That's great. Um, hey, this was this was awesome. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, let's do it again. In, in Absolutely. Now, you know, we got to space this out. We, I don't want to take too much advantage of you, obviously. Um but thank you so much. Have a great, we won't I, I put it this way. I'm going to leave you alone for the holidays. How's that sound? No, listen, let's catch in. Let's catch up like, you know, near the end of the season. Okay. We're going to really talk good. about what's going to happen in the future in the next couple of months after that. Very we're going to be playing for a couple of months. after. Yeah, that. we are. Yeah, we yeah, are. Yeah, we are. All right, man. We'll uh, continue success. Keep uh, doing well there in Austin on your, con on your, uh, on your current work. Go bills. And Go for, bills. Those, for those of you who are watching, thanks for watching. Bill, thank you. And uh, obviously, please subscribe on this YouTube channel. And uh, that's another episode of Bull in the Basement. Thanks for being here. You got it. Take care of yourself, Bull. You too, man. All right, brother.